So the big question is, how can physical therapists create a successful career earning six figures or more and give patients the care they need without relying on insurance companies for reimbursement? If you want to learn the answers to those questions and more, then you've come to the right place. My name is Dr. Aaron LeBauer, physical therapist, business coach, serial entrepreneur, and author of the Cash PT Blueprint. Thanks for joining me today. Welcome to the Cash PT Lunch Hour podcast. I'm your host, Aaron LeBauer, and today we're talking about failure. If you're watching this on YouTube, um, be sure you hit the like, click the notification bell, hit the like, subscribe, comment below with any um, any insights you have, any ahas, anything that resonates with you, whether you're watching this on YouTube, you see this on Facebook, Instagram, anywhere. Make sure you comment below because not only will commenting help you, it'll help the next person who didn't see it or didn't put couldn't put the words together the way you can. So if you don't know me, my name's uh, Dr. Aaron LeBauer. I'm a physical therapist. I'm a massage therapist. I've been going to business since 1999. And I help physical therapists make more money, scale their income, create more time with their families, and help thousands more people, hundreds of thousands, millions of people without relying on insurance companies. Because we all know insurance companies are the real crooks. And it's your ethical obligation to sell physical therapy if that's what you believe in. Um, you charging higher prices is not um, ripping people off. Um, Blue Cross, United, Anthem, all these places not paying for medically necessary surgeries or delaying them because of red tape. That's the unethical stuff. So let's talk about failure today. You may not know this, but I did an episode a while back about everything that bike racing taught me about business. I used to race bicycles. So long before I became a physical therapist, I thought I could be the next Lance Armstrong. Well, I actually didn't really think I could be the next Lance Armstrong because one, I wasn't going to stoop to as low as he did in how he treated people. Um, taking a shit ton of drugs was never on my radar. Well, not the performance enhancing kind. Um, and, but I wanted to push myself and push my body and see how far I could go. And if there's one thing that bike racing's taught me is how to overcome failure. Uh, so let's see, one of the most successful bike racers um, was Eddie Merckx. Eddie Merckx was the most prolific winner. He, I mean, he was better than Lance. If you know anything about bike racing, Lance Armstrong only concentrated on the Tour de France and a few other races. Eddie Merckx, he raced to win at every race. He had something like 445 victories. So he raced from 65, 1965 to 1978 before many of you were born. He recorded 455 victories in 1,500, 1500 races. He won, in his peak years, he only won 35% of the races, which is still incredible, but that's a 35. Like, he wasn't even scoring a B. And more of you may be familiar with baseball, right? Softball, um, how, like, your batting average is, like, you know, like a point two, <laughs> two five eight. Like, you're, you're hitting the ball 25% of the time. I think that's what that is. I'm, a, I'm not a sports ball player. Um, that's really low. Michael Jordan, everyone knows who Michael Jordan is. Michael Jordan talks about how he wouldn't have won so much if he hadn't failed, right? He got cut from his high school basketball team. I mean, he was in ninth grade and, you know, phys probably physically underdeveloped and maybe he wasn't taking it seriously then. But I, I chose racing bikes because I could do that really well. Um, I also know 
or knew that, you know, I wasn't going to do this for my whole life. Like it wasn't going to be my, the way I made money. But when I was in my twenties, I pushed myself as hard as I physically could because I wanted to see how far I could go. And so I won some races. Like I actually won. I was competitive. I was ranked like top 10 in Northern California amateurs. I raced in Belgium. I mean, I actually raced in Belgium before my peak. And I was told when I went over there, before I went over there that, you know, you're barely going to finish the race. Like give it a month to finish a race. Like I was a category three racing bikes, which is there's, you start as a five, you work your way up to one. Most people don't make it to category two, category ones and twos in bicycle racing race with the pros in the United States. In uh, Europe, you're either under contract or not under contract. <laughs> and so the Kermes bikes races are crazy hard. And there's a lot of uh, former pros in there. I mean, my very first um, race that I did in Belgium, um, I lined up at the start and I think someone was taking my picture. I don't even know that someone took my picture, but the next day people like asked for my autograph because my face was on the front cover of the Ghent Daily News. It wasn't because of me. It was because of the man standing next to me was his name is Etienne de Vilda and he is at the so at the time I was 28 I think I'd have to do some math um I was in my late 20s um he was like 45 48 years old former world champion from Ghent he was doing the amateur race hey I mean guy was crushing and it crushed me I mean I got wrecked I think there's a couple points here one is, um, I mean, I went into like 50 something thousand dollars worth of debt. I mean, we just, if we haven't done the debt podcast, we're going to do it again. Actually don't know. Cause I'd stop counting to race bikes and see how far I could push myself. But along the way, what that meant was that I had to embrace the fact that I was not going to win very much. Winning felt so good though. I can tell you that like I'm addicted to winning. And if you come and you challenge me, whether it's in basketball, ping pong, paintball, which I did yesterday, bicycle racing or business, I'm going to do everything I can to make sure that I win. I'm not really going to do everything I can to make sure you lose. That's a different mindset. I'm going to make sure I win. I do everything I can to win. But you don't win very much in bicycle racing. You know, second place is the first loser. <laughs> I mean, maybe you get a, you know, you can get some money. Like one of the, one of my best races, like, I showed up the best. I raced the hardest. I was at my peak. I was two people out of the money in 42nd place. Out of 180 starters, only 50 people finished. And I finished um, on the lead lap. But uh, the race was so strung out and so fast, I was on the backside of the course when the winner crossed the finish line. That was an Athens Twilight Criterium. To me, that was a win, even though... I lost. <laughs> I was a loser. I didn't, I mean, I would don't, but I didn't consider myself a loser. And I, and I think that's the thing is that I've discovered, and I'll get into some of the other things that I've, I've learned recently and what I've been doing this weekend is that uh, everyone's thinking it's either win or lose and I can't lose. So I'm not going to try. And I did have that mindset in college. Okay. So I went to Duke university so many of you may think all oh, Aaron's really smart, and maybe I am, um, but I wasn't book smart. I got a 1070 on my SAT, which if you're 40, in your late 40s, you can resonate that like, like I got a 620 on math, which is really good, but out of 800, that still wasn't like at the top, but it was good enough to get into Duke, but my verbal was 450. 
Um, I was 1,200. I finished the class. I was ranked 1,250-something out of 1,500 kids. Um, what was my point? Uh, gosh, I got ADD, so I can't remember. When I went to Duke, and it was really, like, tough. Um, oh, here's the point. Is that, okay, so when I was there, in order to graduate, you had to pick a major. Okay, there was, like, I think five areas of study or maybe six. And you could... You didn't have to go through one area of study. Everyone had to take an English class as a freshman. So there was so one area you didn't have to take. Another area you only had to take two classes in. So I took the freshman English class, English literature class, and I took, I think, public speaking, and that satisfied my lit, like literature or English um, satisfaction, whatever requirement. And then I didn't take any foreign language because I knew... And if I took a foreign language class, I was probably going to get a C or worse because that's what I got in high school because I don't memorize um, I don't memorize things very well that have no context. And a foreign language has no context if I'm not using it. Um, I can't, I've got dyslexia, so reading a 500-page book, one, <laughs> one of those books a week is really painful and very difficult. So... Even though I showed up to my English literature class, and I was like, wow, I've read three of the eight books. The first day, everyone else was like, yeah, I've already read all the books at least once. I was just like, there's no way, way I can keep up. So I didn't take those classes because I knew I would fail. But I didn't take them because I, the point is, is I did not take them because I knew I would fail or not do well enough. I love like English literature. I love that time period that it describes. And I lived in Israel for a year and I learned the language because I was immersed in it and I had to use it. Um, it was also taught to us um, conversationally, not in a way where we had to memorize it. We weren't great on memorization. We were uh, great on the fact that like, I could go to the bus stop and then order falafel and find my way to Tel Aviv and go out to a nightclub. Like Most people spoke English, but really by the end of my 10 months there, I was working in a bar in a cafe in Tel Aviv, which was really one of the coolest experiences I've, I've ever had because I learned the language, because I couldn't fail. So what I'm saying is, I no longer have the mindset of I'm not gonna do something because I might fail, I'm gonna do something because I want to win and I want to do it. Hope you're following me on this. I'd, if you're watching this somewhere and there's a place to comment, I'd love you to comment below. Let me know what resonates with you. Um, maybe you're listening to this on the podcast. Maybe take a screenshot of it already and just you know tag me on Instagram. Let me know, like, when did you, um, stop playing to lose and start playing to win because really the quote is is when did you stop playing to win and start playing not to lose because that's what most people are doing most people are playing not to lose and we play not to lose you're not going to win because you're just protecting the goal you're not going for you're not going to score you're not going to win and in business you can't play not to lose there's a time to protect your money and protect your people but that's not 95% of the time. That was like March, April, May, June, 2020. You have to play to win. But most people won't publish their website, won't create their business cards, which I don't recommend you do business cards traditionally. Anyways, they won't start their business because they're afraid of losing. As a physical therapist, you got nothing to lose. The only thing you have to lose is a little bit of pride and ego. But if you understand and shift your mindset to the fact that you can't lose, you're playing to win, 
the game is going to be very different, okay? For instance, I want to give a shout out to Nick Essenplayer. He's one of our Platinum Mastermind members. He's one of the people who have been in it the longest. Nick did not come in to the Platinum Mastermind and make $20,000 his first month. Nick did not come in Mastermind and make $10,000 his first month. But you know what the guy did? He's persisted. He's in it. And I'll tell you, when I got on uh, the first strategy call with Nick, we were talking and I was like, well, what are your goals? Like, what do you want to have happen? Like, why are you doing this? And it's like, you know what? He, he lives in New Jersey and he was living with his, uh, I think fiance at the time, maybe, or maybe his wife living with his parents, you know, like many of my friends did in San Francisco, you know, where they were from there, they were living with their parents because it's incredibly expensive. And he said to me, Aaron, I want to be able to buy my own house, you know? I mean, because, you know, like you, exactly what he said, but I get it. You know, it's like if you're if you're an adult and you're married and an American, you know, like you're not living with your parents. Like the dream is to buy your own house. It's been two and a half years. It'll be maybe three years this winter that we've been working together. Nick is a bodybuilder. He's a competitive bodybuilder. So I know he knows this himself. Like you don't train for a bodybuilding competition for six weeks and then you win it. You have to build muscle over the long haul. Well, last week on our Platinum Mastermind call, um, I was asking all our Mastermind members for wins, and Nick's win is that they spent their first Halloween in their new house, which is awesome. It's incredible, you know, because the guy's playing to win. He's doing some amazing things with his uh, with um, the War Room, which is the gym that uh, he's uh, associated with in New Jersey. He's had an opportunity to speak on stage, but the guy is playing to win. We know that in our mastermind, sometimes there's wins and sometimes you learn. You don't lose. It's like once you join our Platinum Mastermind, you're not going to lose unless you quit. And then I can't tell you what's going to happen. But when you stick around, we do everything we can to help you win. Winning is a state of mind. Winning something you're going to do if that's what you want. It just may look different than most people. Or it may look the same as most people. It just not might be that glamorous. And... The other thing is, is winning isn't about like a short-term fix. It's not a short-term result. The real winners are the people that get to design their life around their passion. You get to design your career around what you love. And at the same time, you help thousands of other people, whether it's do the same or, or help them heal or live life in a very different way. That's what we're here for. And we're here to win. And winning isn't a short game because as soon as you got your first house, now it's like, okay, I want to grow my business and save money for my kids to go to college. You have to drop your fear of failure. So before I wrap up, let me tell you what was happening this weekend. So this weekend, I went out to Arizona to spend some time with my brother um, and ride the Spirit World 100, which is a 100-mile off-road bicycle ride or event. It's a gravel race. I don't really call it a race because it's not like I, what I used to do racing. It was 100 miles in the desert. We signed up for it back in January. I've been training this year. Um, I've been doing the, you know, Aaron LeBauer two to three day training plan, you know, because I've got a lot of years of riding bikes in my legs. But I knew going in, this could be like a 10 hour day. About a month ago, I did two weekends where I did, I think one weekend I did 67 miles, but on the road. I did 87 miles on the road. So that was about six and a half hours. Um, but on the road, riding is a lot different than gravel. Um, gravel, you're bouncing all over the place. The things that hurt the worst 
like mile 40 were my triceps and my low back. But so I'm out there, I've packed up my bike, I've you know spent the whole weekend, last weekend, packing up my bike, trying to figure out how to get it into this new bike bag. You know, I argued with the people at American Airlines because they weren't supposed to charge me 150 bucks, but they did on the way out there. So what we had to do was, um, there was three options. There was a 50 mile option, an 80 mile option, a 100 mile option. And we knew we could do 50. I think 80, I was like, 80 is doable, but we're going for the 100. And we had to make it to mile 68 in six and a half hours, which was the cutoff to be able to do 100 so that you weren't out there after dark. Because it was on the border of Mexico, there's sheriff and border patrol and hunters out there, and they didn't want anyone out there after dark. You know, because a lot of events, like you can sign up for the 100 and just take 15 hours to do it. So we made it to mile 68 in six hours, which is great. We made it about a half hour earlier than we needed to. And we made the right turn. This is out and back up a three or four mile climb down the other side, back up and then back in. But it was two more climbs. And then it was mostly downhill. And it was fine, but we turned right. And I had already was like feeling not so great, you know, but I couldn't tell what it was. My legs felt good. My arms hurt. My back hurt. You know, cardiovascular. I was just like, oh. Like my heart rate, my heart rate wasn't high, you know, but it wasn't like super low, you know. And uh, we started climbing after about a mile in the climb. I was like, oh, I just don't feel good. I need to sit down. I was like, no, I'm going to keep going. And I went up like another half mile and I was like, I just had to stop. And we stopped. I stopped on the side of the road for 10 minutes. And I didn't, I had plenty to drink. I had plenty of food. I mean, there was tons of food, tons of water out there. And I looked at my brother and I was like, after a while, I was just like, I'm not going to push myself. I'm not going to, you know, like I, I was at my limit. I wasn't going to push myself past my limit. So I was like, you go on, I'll meet you at the aid station. So I turned around, went back down and I stopped at the next um, aid station. I st sat there for 20 minutes. I was like, fuck this. <laughs> I was like, how am I going to get, I got like 10 mile ride in. And I was just so wrecked. I sat there for 20 minutes and then the woman was like, why don't you go on with this next group to the next aid station? I was like, okay. And I started hundred miles down the road, hundred meters down the road. I was just like, I'm done. And I rolled back. I was like, I can't do it. Like my body was just like done. And a lot of people could have pushed through it and I could have, but it felt like if I kept pushing, I was just going to like pass out. I remember we were, we were like 5,500 feet of elevation. So it's not so high that you can't breathe. You normally, you can breathe normally when you're not riding, but I was out in the desert, elevation, you know, the car alarm went off the night before at 1 a.m., a lot of factors. I mean, I was just like done. I was like, I'm not, I, I can't do this. So I got a ride down to the, you know, three miles to the bigger aid station next. And I sat there for 10 minutes and this woman was like, I'm going in. <laughs> I was like, can I catch a ride? Even though it was all downhill, I was just done. I didn't want to push myself. Okay. But I trained for since January for this thing. And a lot of people go, oh my gosh, like you didn't make it. I'm like, right? I just want to read this quote I got from Instagram. It was Steve Harvey. That's awesome. You can go to my Instagram and watch this. I put this together on the way home. But he says, this is what Steve says. He says, you have to lose your fear of failure because failure is part of the process. People who never fail, never try. You have to fail. You've got to get it wrong to get it right. You learn nothing from winning. You only learn from your failures. That's great. It sounds so much better when he reads it out. And I don't have the thing that he has to read it to you. Um, but look, I mean, I, I attempted to ride 100 miles. I made it 77 in like six and a half hours. And I think that was, we were out since we were up from 5 a.m. We started at 7 a.m. And that was like 2 or 2.30. 2 um, so I was out for like seven hours or so in the desert. 
you know, like I didn't fail as my kettlebell coach, Brett said here comment. He said, uh, what did Brett say? Um, he said, you may not have been successful, but you didn't fail. So if there's one thing I learned from bicycle racing, is it, is it, uh, failure is part of the process, but if you're trying, you're not actually failing, you're learning. And that's what we teach our mastermind members is like, you've learned, you, you either win or you learn. You know, and guess what uh, Nick has learned along the way? He's learned how to be persistent, how to grow his business, how to crush it, how to make multiple six figures a year, how to buy a house in northern New Jersey where they're really re much more expensive than they are here in Greensboro. Um, you know, I mean, it's uh, I went to this race to have fun with my brother, to hang out. It was epic. The views were incredible. I didn't get to stop and really view them that much. I got some cool pictures on my bike. Maybe I'll go back next year. Maybe I won't. But what did I learn? It was my biggest lesson was that you just need to enjoy the process. Failure is part of the process. Failure has always been part of the plan. And if you don't learn from your setbacks or the things that don't work out the way you want, you're never going to be successful. You have to take these opportunities to learn. So what I learned, I probably need to train a little bit more, you know, longer. I probably need to do more training off-road but it's really hard around here in Greensboro because we don't have a lot of trails that are suitable to a gravel bike versus a mountain bike. So maybe I had done more mountain biking. My body would have been used to the jarring. I don't know. Maybe I'll go. What did I learn? I can still push myself, but I've learned that I know where my limit is and I feel good about that. So what I want to know from you is what have you learned from your business or from your athletic uh, endeavors? Like, Many of you aren't like racing bikes, but you're doing something else physically active. You're competitive some way. I wanna know what has it taught you? And what has it taught you about life? And how can you use that to succeed in business? Because I know many of our most successful Platinum Mastermind members are involved in something like CrossFit, powerlifting, running, gymnastics, um, a lot of things, dance, you know, a lot of different things, or they used to be. You know, so what is it teaching you? Um, so before we finish up, I just want to say, hey, we've got a, I've got a few opportunities uh, for the right people to work with us in our Platinum Mastermind member, uh, as our Platinum Mastermind group. Um, we've got a, an amazing group of people. And if you want to make sure that next year or even this year is your best year ever, and you've got a business, whether it's online, in person, um, brick and mortar, or, you know, all on the internet, and you're helping other people, patients, or other physical therapists, or other professionals, and you want to help more people, you want to make more money, and you want to do it without working more time, then you may be a great fit for the mastermind group, especially if you want to make sure that you never fail and you have all the resources at your disposal to learn all the lessons you need and make this um, process go even faster. So what we do is, um, just like with Nick, we start on a strategy call to see if we're a good fit, to make sure we can help you, because if we can't help you, why would we ever try to pitch you anything? But if we can, if if either I or someone on our team knows that like we can absolutely help you, then we're gonna make you an offer to join our group because people who pay, pay attention, and people who pay get results. Um, you know, like free stuff is free stuff and you forget about it. And we'll see, because what we wanna do is work with a small group of amazing physical therapists to help the massive amount of people and help you grow. And if you feel like that's the next step for you, just send me a message. You can send me a message with the word mastermind or you can comment below this video.
Comet Mastermind, and I'll send you some details and see how, uh, see for a good fit and invite you into a free call. And then from that call, we'll um, get to learn a little bit more about you, your business, your goals, your dreams, what's working, what isn't, kind of like you probably do with your patients in their evaluation. And then we'll uh, suggest a plan of care, you know, for your business, not just for your body. And we'll go from there. Um, this is Aaron LeBauer and the Cash PT Lunch Hour podcast. If you never fail, you're never going to win. So go out and play to win, and we'll see you on the next show. Thanks. Peace. Hey, thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to listen to the show. Whenever you're ready, here are three ways I can help you grow your physical therapy business. Number one, grab a free copy of my book. It's the roadmap to launch, grow, and scale your physical therapy business. Just go to cashptblueprintbook.com. That's cashptblueprintbook.com. Just cover shipping and we'll send it out to you ASAP. Number two, join our Cash PT Blueprint case study program. We're putting together a new coaching case study program this month. And if you'd like to work with me to launch a six-figure cash practice in just 90 days, send me a message over on Instagram. Find me at Aaron LeBauer on Instagram and send me a message with just the words blueprint. And we'll get back to you with all the details. Or number three, if you're an established PT business owner and you want to work directly with me and my team to take your business to multiple six and seven figures, just send me a message over on Instagram with the word private. And I'll get back to you with the details about that program too. Thanks so much for listening. And we'll see you next week on the Cash PT Lunch Hour podcast.